We live in an age of endless information. We have access to more information today than at any point in human history. Got a question? You can search the world for answers. Need directions? Maps can lead you just about anywhere. Need to buy something? You can locate it, make your purchase, and have it shipped to you all in a few minutes. But access to all this information doesn't necessarily make us wiser, happier, or provide any deeper meaning in life. The wisest man who ever lived had everything he desired, but came to the conclusion that life without meaning is empty. But a life spent searching for the answers God provides is a life worth living. Well, today is snow day, and it's a fun day, and we got a lot of kids on this campus, and it was snow day on both of our campuses, on the, the Missouri City campus as well. How many of you in this room have played in the snow today? Would you stand right now? And we want to see you. You've already played in the snow. All right, we got some adults standing up, and kids, where snow day is so much fun, and I'm so glad that you're here. The kids, the kids just come out of the woodworks, and it is so fun to see so many children. There was a first grader who asked his mom, Mom, where do I come from? And his mom thought, oh, good grief, just first grade, already birds and the bees. I cannot be doing this. And she thinks to herself, okay, I tell you what, I'm going to just give a little bit of answer, just a little bit of information. So she's explaining this to him, and he doesn't understand any of it, makes no sense. And he shrugs and said, well, okay, but Jimmy says he's from Dallas. So... There are people asking the tough questions in life, the big questions about life. And we're going to be talking about those big questions about life over the next few weeks in a series entitled Search, Answering Life's Biggest Questions. For instance, next week we're going to talk about how can I finally be happy, not just momentarily happy, not just good things happen so I'm happy, but how can I find a happiness that lasts? And in fact, over the course of this series, we're going to be dealing with some of the biggest issues that people face. And we're asking the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament to help us in our journey. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by a man named Solomon, who was one of the, the wisest men who ever lived. He asked the hard, deep questions, and he wrote this book dealing with those questions. He asked some of the most profound issues that relates to what life really is about. And we're going to pick up these questions that he asked and see what God wants to say to us in our life as well. For instance, in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, he asks this question, what is the point of life? What is the purpose and the meaning of my life? There was a survey conducted in John Hopkins University a few years ago in which they surveyed over 8,000 university students across 48 colleges, and they asked this simple question, 
What do you consider to be the most important thing sort of in your search for life? What is the most important thing in your life? 16% of the university students replied, money. My whole life is going to be generated by, by making as much money as I possibly can make. That is what I'm going to use my life for. But 75% of the university students replied, the number one issue for me is finding a purpose and a meaning for my life. I really like that. I was impressed by that. 75% of the university students said, the number one thing inside me is that I want to know why I'm here. I want to know what my purpose and the meaning of my life is. It is with that in mind that Dr. Hugh Moorhead, who's a philosophy professor at Northeastern Illinois University, wrote to 250 individuals that he considered the most brilliant people in America. This professor of, of psychology wrote, or philosophy, wrote 250 people, the, the philosophers, the great philosophers of, that he considered great philosophers of the world, and the, the scientists in the world are in the country, and the intellectuals. And he wrote 250 of them, and he asked this question, what is the purpose and meaning of life? And he said that a handful of these individuals wrote him back and tried to de describe some kind of answer to it, but mostly got to the end of it and said, actually, I don't know. And he said the overwhelming response that he got back of the 250 most brilliant people in America, the overwhelming response was, I don't have a clue about what the meaning of life is. And in fact, he said several of them said to him, if you find out, would you write me back and let me know? Now, what I, I see this. It's amazing to me. 75% of college students said, I want to know why I'm here. I want to know why, why life. What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? And here are the most brilliant people in the world, supposedly, and they say, we don't have a clue what the answer to that question is. Here is Solomon all the way back 3,000 years ago, and he has that same question. What is the meaning? What is the purpose of life? And he begins to try to answer that question in this book. He doesn't get to the answer. He takes us along the path to the answer, but it isn't until Jesus and the New Testament that what Solomon started gets completed for us. So we're going to bring the New Testament in as we read through or we, we look through the book of Ecclesiastes and we're going to learn these answers that God gives us to these problems. And the first one, what is the meaning, the purpose of life? Maybe some of you are thinking, well, what's, why is it so important anyway? What's the big deal? Well, here's what Solomon says in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Solomon says that a life without meaning is an empty life. Listen to how he says it in verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, the teacher that Solomon's talking about is himself. Solomon was the son of King David. And when David died, Solomon then became the king. And when Solomon became the king, he asked God, God, would you, I, I'm not asking for, for money. I'm not asking for treasure. I'm not asking for the vanquishing my enemies. I'm asking you, would you give me wisdom? 
Would you pour wisdom into me so that I can know how to lead my country well? And God poured wisdom into Solomon. So much so, the Bible says outside of Jesus, he was the wisest man who ever lived. A man that had greater understanding than anybody who had ever lived. Kings would come, queens would come and sit under him and, and listen to him because he understood life at a level that they had never heard before. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, but he also wrote the book of Proverbs. And of all the books in the Old Testament, this book, this book, the book of Proverbs, has made the greatest impact personally in my life as far as how do I make decisions in my life? What is the right decision to make? What, how do I respond in my life? The book of Proverbs has had the most profound impact in my personal life outside of the words of Jesus than any other thing. That's how much wisdom, 3,000 years later, here is a guy still gaining wisdom from Solomon. And Solomon begins to lay out what is it that life is about? And he says, if you don't grab hold of the purpose of life, you're going to end a life. You're going to live a life that ends up totally empty. Second of all, Solomon says, a life without meaning is a life just going around in circles. Listen to how he puts it beginning in verse 3 of Ecclesiastes 1. What does a man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, and round and around it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. And what's the conclusion of all of this? He says, all things are wearisome, boring, more than one can say. The eye never has, any, uh, has enough of seeing, and the ear, it's fill of hearing. What is amazing to me is that here is Solomon and he gives answers to three key scientific truths about nature that were not proven scientifically until 2,600 years after Solomon. But Solomon is not trying to speak science. What Solomon is trying to say is that a life without meaning is a life that is just going through the motions. Gets up in the morning, goes and does all the stuff they're supposed to do, goes to bed at night, gets up in the morning, does all the stuff they're supposed to do, and goes to bed at night, and year after year, and then they die. Just going around in circles, just going through the motions. It's Groundhog Day every day. Do you remember anybody see the movie Groundhog Day? Yeah. I, I, Kathy says to me, I, you know, don't mention, don't, don't suggest movies because invariably there's something wrong with every movie, and you know that. And as she's right, but I, I've watched Groundhog movies, so I'm, I'm telling you, it's a rated PG. So, but Groundhog Day movie has this great theme that if you don't come to understand what life is really meant to be, your life will be meaningless. 
Hollywood doesn't get the answer right of what it is, but I appreciate the attempt. It is going around in circles every day without meaning and purpose to your life. There is a psychologist whose name is Carl Jung, and Carl Jung wrote a book called Modern Man in Search of a Soul. I'm not endorsing Carl Jung, and I'm certainly not endorsing his book, but he says this in his book. He says, about one-third of my cases are suffering from no clinically definable neurosis, but from the senselessness and the emptiness of their lives. This can best be described as the general neurosis of our time. What is he saying? He is saying this culture that we're in, this culture is neurotic. And what is at the core of our neurosis is an emptiness and a meaninglessness of life. And Solomon is saying, yeah, you got it. If you don't grab hold of what is your purpose, and live it out and really understand it and be initiated in your life with, with it. If you don't get a hold of this, you will end up living a meaningless, empty, running around in circles life. And then Solomon says this. He says, a life without meaning brings no real satisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Solomon is describing a life that is totally boring. We have a lot of techni technological toys and inventions, and we love them, and we play with them, and we learn them, and we get them figured out, and then we get bored with it, and the next one comes. And Solomon didn't have all that technology, but we end up exactly where Solomon is describing because it still ends up empty. It still goes to boring. Tennis star Boris Becker do you remember Boris Becker? Here's a picture of Boris Becker. Becker. He was at the top of the tennis world, and yet he was on the brink of despair. And these are the words from Boris Becker. He said this, I had won Wimbledon twice before, as even once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of the of the movie stars and, and the pop stars who take their life. They have everything, and yet they are happy with nothing. I had no inner peace. I was just a puppet on a string. Have I depressed everybody enough? I, I, have I done it? I'm trying to depress everyone. Is, is it getting through? Okay. Now, the idea is this. If you don't know the purpose of your life, and if you don't live out that meaning, you will get to the end of your life and it will be totally empty, empty, with no satisfaction. So what is a person to do? Here are all these intellectuals saying we don't even have a clue what the purpose of life is, so what is a person to do? Well, some people choose an option. The first option is this, to try to make up something. 
I'll just make up some purpose. And many, many people, many of the people that you and I go to work with, go to school with, we rub shoulders with, this is exactly how they're living. If they've really had the depth inside to ask the questions, this is what really they're doing. They're just trying to make something up along the way. Well, I'm into this. I'm into that. My whole life is about my career. Man, I'm going to try to go up the ladder as far as I can go and beat other people out, and I'll get to the top. Or my whole life is about getting as much money as I can possibly get. Or my whole life is about sports, or it's about family, it's about something. I, get, I, I pick something, and I make that the core of my life. I make something up. Atheism openly admits that the end result of the atheistic worldview is that there is no inherent meaning to life since we are all just accidental blobs. So our only recourse is just to make something up. Atheism says, just make something up. Live and die and cease to exist because nothing actually matters because in the end, the sun is going to crash in on itself and destroy the earth and life and everything, and it doesn't matter. Oh, thanks. That's option one. The second option is that you live your life in escape. Nothing matters. I don't understand the meaning of this life. And there are some people that live that whole life of escape. They, it's all about pleasure, and I'm just going to get as much pleasure as I can get, and I'm going to just indulge myself as much as I can. And every single one of us in this room know people just like this. We have seen their lives. They, they get into drugs. They get into alcohol. They, they, they get into sexual addictions. They get in all kinds of things, and they sort of pour themselves into that addictive lifestyle, and we're watching them and what happens to them. Most of them die young. Most of them die before their time, and all of them end up burning out their life. But there's a third option. The third option is this, find the real meaning of life with the God who made you. Because real life begins with God. You just, you and I just didn't happen to arrive. You and I were planned you and I are not a mistake or an accident. God created you and me. And not only did God intend you to be here and me to be here, not only did he make us, but he told us why he made us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 puts it this way. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and this gave him great pleasure." It's an amazing passage. The God that created this universe is not limited by it. 
The God that created this universe is not limited by the, 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 the principle of time, and he has an ability to look down through time. And when he did, before he made anything, he saw you. Before he even created the universe, he looked down through time and he saw you. And he saw me, and he loved you. And he designed the plan to bring you into his family. (laughs) The end of the verse, and this gave him great pleasure. That's the shocker of the passage. Because I know me, and I think about me. I think about God. You already know me. You know the mess I am. You know know how imperfect I am. And God, you look down through time, and you love me and by bringing me into your family, it brought you great pleasure. This is God. God is saying to you, I have a purpose for you. I brought you into the world. I have a meaning for your life. I want you to come to know me. I want to adopt you into my family. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, and this was his purpose. That when the time is right, he will gather us all together to be with him in Christ forever. All of history is moving toward a destiny. And my history and your history is moving toward a destiny. If you don't get anything out of today, if you don't get anything out of today, get this statement. You were made to live forever with God. I'm telling you, when God becomes the core, the center of your life, it does not mean all the fun goes away. Oh, he won't let me have any fun. He will keep me from stuff. No, he pours more into your life. When you join him in life, you were made to live forever with God. John Krakauer, I don't know if you remember the name, but John Krakauer is the guy, and here's a picture of him. His whole adult purpose in life was to climb to the top of Mount Everest. You know, Mount Everest is the highest point in the world, and he wanted to climb to the highest point in the world to the top of Mount Everest. And so all of his adult life, this was his whole purpose. He was training for it. He was learning how to do it. He he finally came to the time to do it. And he and a group of other people went and they climbed all the way to the top of Mount Everest on May the 1st, 1996. Now 12 of those guys died along the way. 12 of the guys died trying to get to the top and trying to get down safely. 12 in his party died, but he had a big party of group that went, and he made it, and here's a picture, here's his picture, on the top of the world. And here are his words. You ready? Straddling the top of the world, one foot in China and the other in Nepal, I cleared the ice from my oxygen mask. I hunched a shoulder against the wind, and I stared down at the vastness of Tibet. I had been fantasizing about this moment for many months, but now I was finally here, actually standing on the summit of Everest. I just couldn't summon the energy to care. 
What? His core purpose of his life was to get to the top of Mount Everest, and he gets to the top of Mount Everest, and he says, and when I got there, I couldn't, I couldn't summon the energy to care. I snapped four quick photos, then turned and started back down. My watch read 1.17 p.m. I spent less than five minutes on the roof of the world. John Krakauer accomplished his life purpose, got to the top, and it was empty. Let me tell you, I've read, I, you know how I'm into baseball, and I've read so many guys who won the World Series on the team of, when, that won the World Series, and, and, it, they, and they talk about how they had lived their whole life. Even from the time they were little boys, they were trying to get baseball. All, of it, all their life was baseball. They were trying to win the World Series, and, and they got into Major League Baseball, and they worked so hard, and they sacrificed and pushed everything else away in their life because their central purpose in life was to make it to the World Series and win the World Series, and they won the World Series. Or maybe it was the Super Bowl, their football players. I've read the same about them. They made it to the Super Bowl, and they won the Super Bowl. And I read so many of these guys who say, Adam, immediately there was euphoria. It was the most exciting moment of my life. And within hours, it was empty. They were stunned by the emptiness. Why is it that Boris Becker came to the top of the tennis world and found it empty? Why is it that Krakauer got to the top of the world, literally, and found it empty? And you can hear testimonies of one after another after another people, and they finally reach it. It was their life purpose, and they get to the top, and it's empty. I'll tell you why. Goals are great. Goals are wonderful. We should be setting goals all the time. We should be pushing ourselves to do things that we never dreamed. We should have goals. Have goals in your business. Have goals financially. Have goals with your family. Have goals and achievements. Go for it. Set goals. But never confuse goals with purpose of life. Because when you make a goal be more than what it was really designed to be, you make it the core of your soul. You make it everything in your life. It will always leave you empty. Even family, as important as it is, as critical as it is, cannot be the central core of our soul because all it takes is one plane wreck, one car wreck, and our whole core of our soul is gone. God intended the meaning of our life and the purpose of our life to be something much deeper. 
Something that can never be taken from us. What Solomon discovered, not all the way, it took us until the New Testament, but what Solomon was on the pathway of discovering is that a life without God at the core eventually becomes futile. But a life that puts God at the core of its purpose is a life that ends up being worth living. So the question is, how do I do that? How do I make this God that made me, how do I make him the core of my life? First of all, God wants us to get to know him. The God who made you wants you to know him, him to know you, that there would be a relationship between you and him. So how do you get it started? In your worship guide this morning, I included this little packet this little track, it's called Life, Three Circles, Life Conversation Guide. This little gospel track, I would encourage you today, this afternoon, when you get home and you're sort of by yourself, maybe you're going to take a nap or something and have some quiet moments, read this. Just sit down and read it. Think about what it's saying because it is dead on. It will show you why it's the way it is and what God wants to do about it and how he wants to bring you into a relationship with him. Spend some time and read it. It might be that before you leave this campus, what you need to do is go to the room we call Next Step Center and talk to one of our ministers about this. How do I know Jesus Christ as my Savior? And it might be that many of you in this room maybe already know Christ as Savior, and you, should you can take this and hand it to somebody in your life who does not. They need to know what you know. It begins by receiving Jesus Christ into our heart, but it doesn't end there. There is a relationship God wants us to have. So how do you build a relationship, an honest-to-goodness relationship with God? The same way you build a relationship with anybody. The same way. You, you, you spend time with them. You talk to them. They talk to you. You have shared experiences in life. This is how you build relationships. You spend time with someone, quality time and even just regular time, and you share life with another person. One of the ways in which we share life with God and we hear His voice is through His Word. And the last few months, I've really, I've really emphasized to us, let's have 2019 be a year that we really spend some time in God's Word, listening to Him, hearing His voice, and do it by plan, not by accident. I, I, I mentioned to you, and I put it back in your notes right there, how do you... Uh, uh, load a, on your smartphone an app that can show you how to develop a plan for reading through the Bible, the whole Bible, or reading the New Testament, or any of the books. How do you build a plan? I want to encourage you to do it, or just download a plan and then open your Bible, hard copy, and read it using the plan. Last year, I read through the whole Bible. It really wasn't that hard. Or I ha and I've got an app that reads to me. I love that. The Bible was written to be read to you. I love that. 
uh, the year before, I read through the whole Bible. This next year, I'm reading through the whole Bible. I'm already in Exodus now. And, and I love it. So why is it? I mean, you've read through the Bible all these times. Why do you need to keep reading it? Because every single day, I kid you not, as I read stuff I've read, I don't know how many times, I hear new stuff. I get an understanding of God, how He thinks, how He reacts to me, how, how He wants to move me, what He's involved, how He's involved in my life. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm understanding because I'm listening to Him. And then I talk back to Him. I, I pray. That's what prayer is. And I, I tell Him what I'm going through and what I'm feeling. And I'm hearing His voice back to me it's building a relationship. The second thing that needs to happen then is God wants us to cooperate with Him as He changes us to become more like Jesus. Listen to what He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. To those who love God, anybody in the room that loves God, to those who love God. So this is to you. You love God. This is to you. To those who love God and are called according to His plan. If you know Jesus, you're called. That's, what, that's the phrase He means. If you know Christ, you're called. To those who love God and are called according to His plan. Listen to what He, he says to you. Everything. Not just some things. Not just the good stuff. Everything that happens to you. He causes to fit into a pattern for good. You know Jesus, you love Him. Everything that happens to you, He causes to fit into a pattern for good. For God chose us to be changed into the image of His Son, Jesus what does that mean? He changes us to be into the image of Christ, to be like Christ. What does that mean? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, I love this. Listen to this. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Good grief, who in the world doesn't want this? Who in the world doesn't want to be more loving and be more loved? Who in the world does not want more joy? No, I want to be so miserable the rest of my life. No, nobody wakes up every day. How can I be more miserable? Nobody does that. I'm hoping no, nobody does that in this room. We want to be, we want to have joy. We want to have peace to the depth of our soul. We want to have peace with each other. We want to have patience for crying out loud. We want to be this person. These are the character traits of Jesus. And what is he saying? The Holy Spirit is actually producing this in you. God's goal is that you and I would be these things because these are the character traits of Christ. God uses the principles from His Word. We're reading His Word. We're having the Bible read to us. He is reading the, we're getting the principles of God's Word. He uses the principles of God's Word and everyday challenges and circumstances of our life. Some of them are good and some of them ain't so good. Some of them are good and some of them are tragic. 
Some of them are so deeply painful we can hardly stand it. God does not cause the painful ones. He does not cause the bad things to happen. Most of the time it's because of choices we make or somebody else makes, and sometimes it's just life. But God has said this to you and me. You love me. You know me. I'm going to take the worst day of your life, the worst moments of your life, and I will turn it for a pattern of good in you. I have this ability to take the worst of life and make it good for you. It's not good at the moment. It is hurtful at the moment, but I will turn it and use it in your life. He takes His Word and He takes our experiences of life and He makes us like Christ when we surrender to Him. The third thing is that God is wanting us to learn how to love others in the same way Jesus loved. It's called the golden rule. It is Luke chapter 6, 31. Do unto others as you would like them do to you. It's what Pastor Tim Homa taught us last week. God is saying this to you and me. Hear me. The whole reason that you were created was to know me and start building a relationship with me, and I'm going to tell you what I will do. I will enhance every other part of your life. I'll enhance your marriage. I'll enhance your parenting. I'll enhance you experiencing your parents. I will enhance your life. I will enhance your career. I will enhance your, your, your business ventures. doesn't mean he's going to give you a lot of money every time, but I will enhance every aspect of your life if you will turn your life to me and let me be the core of your life life. You may not be the richest person, but you'll be the richest person. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you'll make me your goal, your purpose, your meaning, I will make everything else around your life be the very best it can possibly be. And I, you do that by building a relationship with God, letting God change you to be like Jesus and learning how to love like Jesus loved. You got an option. Live meaningless lives <laughs> or come to know Jesus and let him change your future. Let's pray. Father, oh God, we're so grateful for your word. We are so thankful for an understanding you made us, and you made us for a reason, to know you, to love us, not to take away from our life, but to pile onto our life all that life can be. Father, I pray that you would move in hearts today who have not yet understood this truth about you and have not yet accepted Jesus Christ in their heart, that this would be the day that they said yes to you. Father, I pray for those in this room that have accepted Christ as Savior, but Father, not living for you, they, they've gotten caught up in all the other junk that so many people get caught up. They have turned goals into purpose. And God, I pray that you would move our hearts back
to becoming centered to the core of our soul. God, I pray for many in this room that are visiting this church. They know you. They love you. And this is going to be their church home. You're just moving them here. And, Father, give them a sense of peace about that and bring them to our church to be a part of members of our church. Bless us. Speak to our hearts today. And the answer is, God, whatever you tell us to do, the answer is yes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.